Howdy. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week we're doing an archive show. The show you're about to hear was a Boomer Boulevard show first broadcast on August 31st, back in 2015. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. made tea this week. He always makes coffee. This week he made tea. Yeah, okay, I'll hang on. He wants me to taste it. Ooh. That's, what is that, green tea? Oh, my wife likes green tea. I'm not a big fan of green tea. You, you, you're drinking green tea, Chester? What? It's healthful. Healthful benefits. All right, well... Just uh, stick with the coffee for me, okay? If you're gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna make stuff. Welcome everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome. Glad to have you aboard. Another two weeks has gone by, and it's time to go into the vault and pull out some great shows that we can share with you this week. Well, what do we got on tap? We have an episode of Dragnet from 1950. We have an episode of Armis Brooks, I believe, from 1951. And we're going to finish things up on the streets of Dodge City, Kansas with an episode of Gunsmoke that was done in 1955 and is a fun episode and you are going to be blown away by the sound quality on this one. So we have a good lineup this week. We're going to sit here and sip our green tea, I guess, and get started in just a minute.
it's good to be with you. I think we have a pretty good show lined up this week. Before we get started, I just wanted to do a tip of the hat to uh, John and Larry and Walden for the shows that they do on Spurdvac Presents or Spurdvac Theater, whatever they call it. But these are mostly uh, tapes that they play of interviews that they had from past Spurdvac meetings where they had um, guests that would come and address the, the, the group. The one that they played for the last two weeks was with Jack Crucian, and I've always been a fan of his. And man, I enjoyed that interview. I just enjoyed it so much, and he took uh, questions from the audience. I don't know if you know who Jack Crucian is. Uh, of course, you, you've heard him in a number of um, radio shows, and you hear his name in the credits, but do you know some of the movies you've seen him in? If you ever saw the movie The Apartment, he played the doctor that lived next door to Jack Lemon. And he's the one that came over and helped revive Shirley MacLaine after she tried to commit suicide in that in that film. And for, for which he was nominated for an Academy Award for Supporting Actor. And he's been in a number of things. His face is instantly recognizable, but I just enjoyed that interview so much. And they've had others in the past uh, recently that were, were just as good. So anyway, I, I just, I've been meaning to say that, and I keep forgetting to do it. So before we get started tonight, a tip of the hat to uh, Larry and John and Walden, because uh, those shows are just, just excellent. And I look forward to uh, more and more of them in the, uh, in the weeks ahead. Hope everything's okay where you are. We've had uh, nice weather here in the Midwest. Well, anyway, glad to be back with you. We're going to get started off tonight by joining with members of the Los Angeles Police Department on an episode of Dragnet. to get things started off this week, we are going to have an episode of Dragnet, one of the earlier episodes that featured Barton Yarborough. This episode was originally broadcast on the 20th of April, way back in 1950. And this is a procedural episode. That's my designation. With Dragnet, sometimes they were kind of action-driven, and other times they were very procedural-driven. I guess what I'm saying is this isn't a real exciting episode, but I want to play it anyway. There's a couple of uh, points that sort of conjured up memories in this episode, and so I thought I would play it. So here it goes from 1950, April the 20th. This is the big trial on Dragnet. The story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to accident investigation, felony detail. 
In the early hours of the morning, a woman pedestrian is struck down by a hit-and-run driver. Your job, find him. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles, travel step-by-step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Monday, September 4th. It was hot in Los Angeles. We were working the night watch out of traffic division. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Captain Sullivan, Commander AID. My name's Friday. It was 12.45 a.m. when I got to the second floor at 123 South Figueroa Street. Accident investigation. The record bureau. Hi, Wanda. Hi. Sergeant Romero, come back with you. I got a phone message for him. Oh, well, he's over at Georgia Street. He'll be back in a couple of minutes. You got time to take a 15-7? Sure. I got some additional information on a hit-and-run felony. All right. Whew. Pretty warm up here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Get coffee over there if you want it. No, no thanks. All right, officer's memo. Subject? Investigation of hit-run felony. DR number 467923. Location, 7th and Carondelet Streets. It's C-A-R-O-N-D-E-L-E-T. Mm-hmm. September 3rd, 11.15 p.m. Division reporting, A-I-D... Vision of occurrence? Central. Hmm? Central. Date and time occurred. September 3rd, 11.15 p.m. Location of occurrence, 7th and Carondelet. Just going to run long, Sergeant? Oh, page, page and a half. Mm. Go faster in shorthand. I can transcribe it later. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is for Captain H.W. Sullivan, commanding AID. Mm-hmm. Sir... On the above date at 11.20 p.m., the undersigned officers went to the corner of 7th and Carondelet Streets in response to an ambulance follow-up traffic. Mm-hmm. On our arrival there... You got any matches, Wanda? Yeah, here you are. Okay, thanks. Uh, on our arrival there, we were met by 11T. We witnessed... Ambulance attendants placing an unconscious woman in an ambulance. Uh, she appeared to be critically injured. The victim was removed to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. All right. We then interviewed a man who identified himself as Chester J. Crawford, 540 Green Oak Drive. He stated that he was acquainted with the injured woman and that her name was Sheila Gordon. G-O-R-D-O-N. Mm-hmm. 7832-1⁄2 7th Street. Uh... Crawford told us that he was taking her home from a dance. And they arrived at the intersection of 7th and Carondelet Streets at approximately 11.15 p.m. 11.15. Okay? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, Crawford further stated that uh, while he and Sheila Gordon attempted to cross the intersection, an automobile headed west on 7th Street went through the red traffic light. I... Did you read that last part, Mike? Uh, 
Attempted to cross the intersection. An automobile headed west on 7th Street went through the red traffic light. Okay. Crawford told us that he jumped out of the path of the car and tried to pull Miss Gordon with him. He said that the car struck her down without slowing down, continued out 7th Street and disappeared. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. And disappeared. Okay. Uh, Crawford stated the hit-and-run car was either a Dodge or a Plymouth, but it could have been either last year's model or this year's. He described the car... Is too fast for you? That's all right. He described the car as either light blue in color or bluish green. Said that he failed to get the entire license number, but that the last three numbers on the rear plate were either 804 or 304. 804 or 304. That's right. Okay. Uh, Crawford said he made an attempt to follow the hit-run car, but that he was unable to obtain transportation. Mm-hmm. He stated he then ran to a phone at the Corsev Bar and Grill. Spell that. What? Corsev. Oh, C-O-R-S-E-V. Okay. Uh, that's at Seventh and Carondelet, mm-hmm. and called the police. And the undersigned officers then obtained Crawford's full name, address, phone number, and proceeded to question residents in the neighborhood, and right. were unable to locate any other witnesses besides Crawford. Okay. Hi. How'd you do? Oh, so that's about all. Doctor says we won't be able to talk to her for at least a couple of days, maybe not at all. What's your chances? 50-50 if she's heavy on luck. Three broken ribs, brain concussion, internal injury. What Lee Jones have to say? Uh, is that all the report, Sergeant? Oh, yeah, Wanda. We'll have the rest for you a little later. Thank okay. you. Okay. I'll type this much up as soon as I can. Thanks. Sure. Uh, what Lee Jones have to say? Nothing. He and Finkel went over the area for an hour. No broken glass from headlights at the P.I. No tire impressions worth anything. No physical evidence. Where does it leave us? With a half-dead girl and no suspects. What do you think, Jim? I don't know. It's a sour one. Any kickback on the teletype yet? No. That guy she was with, Crawford, not too much help. Looked a little nearsighted to me. He saw well enough to get out of the way of that car. You got the notes. Uh, how much to give us? Let me see. I got it here in the book. The uh, car was either a Dodge or a Plymouth, late model. Color, either light blue or blue-green. The last three numbers on the license plate were 804 or 304. The big field to pick from. That's the only lead we own. You can call it that, yeah. Well, I guess we better talk to DMV, get the dope on all cars fitting that description that Crawford gave us. Huh? It's going to be a hard trip. At least 3,000 cars to track down. Probably closer to four. What do we do for help? We can ask the captain in the morning. I'll get him. Okay. Bracket Bureau Romero. Yeah, Yeah, we'll bring him right over. Yeah, Bye. Lee Jones again. Yeah. Says he wants the clothes Sheila Gordon was wearing at the time of the accident. He figures when she got hit, her clothes must have left fabric marks on the front of the car. Well, it might work. There's only one trouble. What's that? You can paint off fabric marks. Well, it's a long list. Let's take it from the top. Yeah. Find the car. Tuesday, September the 5th. We called Mark Benson at DMV and asked for full information on all vehicles fitting the general description of the hit-run car. We went back and talked to the only witness to the hit-and-run, the victim's boyfriend, Chester Crawford. He could add nothing to what he had already told us. There was no response to the local teletype and the all-points that were sent out the night before. Garages, auto repair, and paint shops throughout the city were also alerted. Meantime, at General Hospital, the victim, Sheila Gordon, was still close to death. The search for the hit-run car went on. Two days passed. Thursday, September 7th, the information we requested from DMV was being checked out and compiled. Ben and I met with Captain Sullivan. That's the last of them, Skipper. All the cars in this area that fit the general description of the one we're after. You just get it? Yeah. How many cars did they list? 4,620. You more than you expected, eh? Yeah. No chance at all of narrowing it down? None that we can see, no. Terrific order. 
Well, we tried to figure it from every angle. Now we can do it two ways. Yeah. We keep the alert on for the hit-run car around the divisions, all the garages in town, the auto repair shops. In other words, we can wait it out. Maybe we'll get the guy, maybe not. Yeah. Or we can check out every one of the cars on this list and the registered owners. Well, the first way isn't going to do the job. We know that. 4,600 cars. How much hope will you need? About 30, 40 men. How long? A couple of weeks, maybe more. All right. I think I can get them from Metro Division. When do you want to start? First thing tomorrow. Okay, I'll set it up. All right, Skipper. Thanks. Excuse me, Joe. There's a lady out here to see you. Okay, thanks. Uh, We'll check you in the morning, Skipper. All right. That's her over there. Thanks. My name's Friday, ma'am. This is Sergeant Romero. How do you do? I'm Dora Lytell, Sergeant. I'm Sheila Gordon's landlady, the girl in the accident. Yes, ma'am. Well, Mr. Crawford, he was the Sheila that night. He told me about you, and he said he thought you might be able to help. How do you mean? Well, it's a long story. See, when Sheila Gordon first came to live at my rooming house, she was a good girl like the rest. Lately, well, I'm being sick now and all, I don't like to say it. Yeah? Well, frankly, last few months before the accident, Sheila just went bad, went bad completely. I don't think I follow you, ma'am. Oh, you know, carousing, all kinds of men, visitors, had a different man in her apartment every night. Well, we're investigating a hit-run case, ma'am. Sheila gets out of the hospital. We could talk about her when she's sick like this, but when she's all right, I don't want her back in my rooming house. I'm afraid that's none of our business either, ma'am. But if you could talk to Sheila, persuade her to move from my house, I don't want any wrangle with the rental board again. Couldn't you talk to her? I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do, ma'am. You better talk to her yourself. It'll just be another row like the last time, shameless woman. I don't want Sheila Gordon back in my house. I'll go to that hospital myself and tell her. She's a pretty sick girl. It's not my fault. Go right over to that hospital and tell her what I think of her. She's hurt pretty bad. So am I. She's hurt me. What's the difference? You haven't been run over by a car. Next morning, Sergeants Reed and McLennan, Ben and myself, joined the 40 men from Metropolitan Division who had started checking out the first of the 4,620 suspected cars. The detail was broken down into teams, and each team was handed a list containing the names of 100 registered car owners. It was a long job and a dull one. Dozens of people weren't at home when we called. We had to rig up a system of checkbacks for each one of these. Some cars had changed hands two and three times. That meant more checking. By the end of the second week, we'd gone through more than half of the 4,600 names on the list. By the end of the fourth week, we had less than a 1,000 to go. At the general hospital, the victim, Sheila Gordon, was pronounced out of danger and recovering. We questioned her, but all she could tell us was that she thought the hit-and-run car was a dark color. The search went on. Monday, October 6th, Ben and I spent a 10-hour day checking a list of car owners south of town. It was 6.35 p.m. when we got back to the office. Hi. Hi, Reed. How'd you do today? Fair. Looks like we got one. What do you mean? Guy's name is Ralph Angelo. Yeah, let's see. Uh, 8690 Backerley Road. Checked him out early this morning. First call. What'd you get? One's a late model Plymouth, light blue. License number, there it is, uh, 17R2204. Wasn't home. Talked to his wife. Yeah? She said the car's been sitting home in the garage for the past month. Husband won't drive it. What's the story? Told her there was something wrong with it. He was going to trade it in. McLennan and I tried it. Car's in first class shape. What about the front end of the car? Pretty clean. One of the bars in the radiator grill slightly bent. Soft crease on the hood, another one in the right fender. Did you bring the car in? Yeah. Crown has been working on it since lunch down the garage. Anything else? I uh, found a gas receipt in the glove compartment dated September 3rd, night of the accident. Where's Angelo now? Santa Barbara, business trip. Due home tonight about 10. Look, Len and I'll pick him up then. See what he's got to say. That sounds good. How many possibilities does that make, Joe? Well, let me see. Out of 3,700 we've checked. About four good ones. I'll get that. Accident investigation, Friday. Hi, Joe. This is Lee Jones. Yeah, Lee. 
Just finished checking the Plymouth Reed McLennan brought in. Did you find anything? Fabric prints on front bumper and the hood. Oh. Indentation of soft object on hood and right front fender. Something else on that fender. What's that? Set of lip impressions. What's it mean? We found the car, only one job left. Yeah? Find the driver. October 6, 10 p.m. Suspect Ralph Angelo was picked up at his home by investigating officers and brought downtown to the interrogation room. Sergeants Reed and McLennan, Ben and myself, questioned him for three hours. At 1.30 a.m., we took Angelo to the county jail where he was booked on suspicion of 501 vehicle code. Hit and run felony. The next morning, we obtained a warrant from the district attorney's office, and later that day, Ralph Angelo was arraigned in Municipal Court Division 7. The date was set for his preliminary hearing in Municipal Court. Sheila Gordon recovered from her injuries and was released from the general hospital. On October 10th, the preliminary hearing was held. Sheila Gordon was on the stand most of the morning. After the noon recess, I was called to testify. Raise your right hand. Somebody swear the testimony about the gift hanging in this case be the truth, whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help you God. I do. State your name. Joe Friday. Be seated. State your name, please. Joe Friday. Your address? 4656 Collis Avenue. Your occupation? I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. Are you one of the investigating officers assigned to this case? I am. Did you have a conversation with the defendant regarding this case? I did. Where? In the traffic division at 123 South Figueroa Street. Who's present? The defendant, Sergeants McLennan, Reed, Romero, and myself. Were the statements made by the defendant free and voluntary? They were. Were there any promise of immunity or reward or the use of force or violence to induce him to make the statement? No, there was not. Can you tell the court the extent of the conversation at that time? Well, first of all, I asked him if he was the registered owner of a 1948 Plymouth automobile, California license number 17Arthur 2804. He admitted that he was. And then I asked him if he was driving that car on the night of September 3rd. He said he was, but that he did not drive anywhere near the location of the hit-and-run felony that night at 7th and Carondelet Street. Did the defendant tell you where he drove his car that night? No, sir. You asked the defendant where he drove his car that night of September 3rd? Yes, I did. And what did he ask? Well, he said, it's none of your business. Did you persist in this line of question? Yes, I did. Defendant continued to refuse to give you the information? That's right. Uh, did the defendant state where he was on the night of September 3rd, between 10 p.m. and midnight? He refused to tell us. Did you advise the defendant at that time that his car had been impounded for investigation? That's right. Did you advise him that several points of incriminating evidence had been found in the car? Yes, we did. And what did he say in answer? Well, he said, you can't prove a thing. I wasn't near the place. You can't prove a thing. Uh, was that the extent of the conversation between you and the defendant? It was. Thank you, that's all. Counsel for defense? No questions, Your Honor. Uh, Leland Jones, come to stand. <coughs> Raise your right hand. Somebody swear the testimony about your pending in this case be the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so I'll be I do. 
What's your name? Lee Jones. Be seated. <coughs> your occupation? I'm a police officer in and for the city of Los Angeles. What particular detail are you assigned to? I'm a lieutenant in charge of the police crime laboratory. Well, uh, counsel for defense stipulate the witnesses as a qualified forensic chemist? So stipulated. Mr. Jones, you are the commander in charge of the police department's scientific investigation division. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Jones, I will show you a photograph of an automobile. <coughs> California license number 1782804 to be marked People's Exhibit C. Have you ever seen this car before? I have. Where and when did you see it, please? I saw it at the traffic division garage, 123 South Figueroa Street, Monday, October 6th this year. Did you make an examination of this car at that time? I did. What did the examination consist of? And uh, what were your findings? I made a systematic examination of the car using oblique lighting from a 500-watt photo-flood lamp and a bell-type reflector. I found the following <coughs> evidence of, excuse me, on the um, front bumper of the car, I found fabric marks consisting of 51 threads to the inch. I then took a perpendicular photograph of those marks with a copy camera. Here is a photograph of that portion of the bumper containing those marks. Now I wish this photograph be marked People's Exhibit D for identification. You proceed, please, Mr. Jones. What else did you find in your examination of the defendant's car? I found fabric marks on the cowling of the car. Extending back under the hood. These marks were made by fabric having a weave of 38 ribs to the inch. I have here a photograph of those marks. Thank you. I'm going to ask this photograph to mark people's exhibits E. So, Mark. What else did you find in your examination of the car, Mr. Jones? I also noted an indentation in the right portion of the car's hood. It had the appearance of having been made by a soft object enclosed in fabric striking the car. Would a human body struck by a car make such an indentation? Yes, it would. Here's a photograph I took of that indentation on the defendant's car. <coughs> I'm going to ask this photograph of Marcus People's Exhibit M. So marked. All right, continue, Mr. Jones. On the top of the right-hand fender of the car, I found a lip imprint in red lipstick. I lifted that print with a piece of cellophane tape, then placed the tape on a plain white card, which I have right here with me. Thank you. That's this card of Mark Peebles, Exhibit G. It's all marked. Now, <clears throat> Mr. Jones, these pieces of evidence which you found on the defendant's car... Uh, <coughs> Did you compare them with other objects? I did. Will you please state what comparisons you made and your findings? Well, in the first place, I find that the uh, fabric marks in People's Exhibit C, taken from the bumper of the car, has the same count per inch as the stockings worn by the victim, Sheila Gordon. Secondly, I found the fabric marks shown in People's Exhibit D from the cowling hood of the car to be the same count per inch as the coat Worn by the defendant. I further made a comparison between the lip imprint found on the right fender, as shown in People's Exhibit G, and various examples of the victim's lips. She made the examples by placing her lips against heavy, stiff white paper. I have those exemplars with me. Mm -hmm. yes, Marcus, People's Exhibit H. So, Mark, <laughs> may I ask, how did the lip imprint taken from the defendant's car? compare with these sample imprints made by the victim's lips? I found that there were 17 points of similarity between the two. 
These points of similarity consist of various uh, small lines or wrinkles which match identically, as uh, may be seen in the photographs. Jones, do you have an opinion as uh, to the origin of the lip imprint on the defendant's car as shown in People's Exhibit G? I do. What is that opinion? It's my opinion that the lip imprint on the defendant's car as shown in Exhibit G was made by the lips of the victim, Sheila Gordon. Now, Mr. Jones, we recognize, of course, that you're a qualified forensic chemist. But are you going to set yourself up as an expert on women's lips, too? <laughs> well, I've done some research in that department, too. <laughs> Mr. Jones, isn't it possible that any number of lip imprints made by different people would look exactly alike? No, it is not possible. There are no two things in the world exactly alike. There are no two sets of lip imprints alike. Well, anyone who's been around at all would know that. <laughs> That's all, Mr. Jones. Thank you. Peter's case, Your Honor. Counsel for the defense? We will not offer any defense at this time, Your Honor. It appears to me that a felony has been committed and reasonable cause to believe that the defendant committed it. The defendant will be held to answer in superior court. Tuesday, November 4th, suspect Ralph Angelo was arraigned in Superior Court, Department 88, and the date of his trial was set for December 1st. During the weeks preceding the set of the trial, we worked with Lee Jones and the district attorney's office preparing the case against Ralph Angelo. Two days before the trial opened, we had a visit from one of the men from the DA's office, a process server. Hi, Bert. Hi. We got trouble. Yeah? Sheila Gordon's disappeared. Wednesday, December 1st, Ralph Angelo's trial opened and Sheila Gordon was called to the stand. She failed to appear. We checked her few known friends in the city. They couldn't help. She had disappeared from her new address and taken everything with her. A bench warrant was issued by Superior Court for Sheila Gordon. The deputy district attorney succeeded in having the court grant a delay in order to find the missing girl, in this case, the complaining witness. Meantime, we got out a local broadcast and an APB. We got missing persons detail to help out in the search. Still no sign. Ralph Angelo's lawyer asked the court for a dismissal of the hit-and-run felony case because of Sheila Gordon's failure to appear. On December the 8th, the court ruled on the motion. Regarding the motion by the defense for dismissal of hit-and-run felony charges against Ralph C. Angelo, because of the prosecution's failure to produce the complaining witness to which Sheila R. Gordon... The court feels it would not serve the interests of justice to continue the case. Case dismissed. The search for Sheila Gordon went on. Behind us, we had logged three solid months of police work, checking and running down more than 4,000 cars, hours of labor in the crime lab, more hours pounding the pavement, questioning people, checking, rechecking. Without a trial and a conviction, it didn't mean a thing. Three days before Christmas, we received information that the missing girl was living in a small town south of Los Angeles. Ben and I checked the address. What was the apartment number? 7A1. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Again. Yeah? Oh, you two. Come in. Come in. Sit down, make yourself at home. I'm sorry the place is such a mess. A little party earlier tonight. It's messed up. What about the trial? Why didn't she show? Come on, sit down. 
See, I'll tell you what. I'll freshen up a little, put on some makeup. What about the trial? I didn't have anything against the guy. He didn't mean to run me down. You, uh... You wouldn't happen to have a drink on you, would you? You know better than that. Why didn't you show up at the trial? I told you, I didn't have anything against the guy. Well, was it a payoff? Look, why don't we go out and get something, then we can come back and have a party. How much did he give you? Fifty dollars. It was awful night. You agreed not to show in court. I didn't have anything against the guy, that's all. Better get your coat. Why? That's what the court wants to know. You're taking me in. Why? Is there any law against forgiving? Yeah, when you get paid for it. The story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 3rd, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 88, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. Sheila Gordon was returned to Los Angeles and a new date was set for the trial of Ralph Angelo. Subsequently, he was tried and found guilty as charged. Angelo was also tried, along with Sheila Gordon, for compounding a felony. They were both convicted and received the sentence as prescribed by law. They are now serving their terms in the state penitentiary. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. The Halls of Ivy is especially pleasant listening tomorrow on NBC. From April the 20th to 1950, that was Dragnet, and the name of that episode was The Big Trial. A couple interesting things in that uh, episode. One is um, Friday mentioned, or no, it wasn't Friday, at the end of the show, it it, it brought out that uh, the show was produced with the cooperation of the Chief of Police, William A. Wharton. And I did not know who that was. I don't remember that name. Well, we did a little research, and it ends up that he was chief of police between June of 1949 and August of 1950, so only for about a year. Why so short? Well, it ends up that there was quite a police scandal going on about that time. There was a prostitute by the name of Brenda Allen who had taken over from Ann Forrester, who was well-known infamously as the Black Widow. And she had run quite a prominent prostitution syndicate in the L.A. area. Well, after she was arrested and sent to prison, this Brenda Allen seems to have been her successor. Now, she had a love affair with a sergeant by the name of Elmer Jackson, who was an administrator on the L.A. Police Department's vice squad. In a very strange turn of events, Brenda Allen and Elmer Jackson were robbed at gunpoint. 
and Jackson turned around and shot and killed the perpetrator. Well, when this became newsworthy, uh, reporters, as well as the internal affairs of the Los Angeles Police Department, started looking into the association between Jackson and Allen. Why were they together? Well, it ended up in a grand jury, and there needed to be a whole reform of the Los Angeles Police Department. So the chief of police was fired, and William Wharton was, was hired. He had been a decorated colonel in the Marine Corps, and he was brought in to clean up the police department. Well, I guess he really didn't much care for the job. He only lasted a year. But ironically, the uh, officer who was in charge of internal affairs was William H. Parker, who, of course, ended up succeeding Wharton as the uh, chief of police, and he spent 16 years as a very well-respected chief of police. In fact, they named Parker Center after him, which is the headquarters of the Los Angeles Police Department. Let me see, what else was mentioned in there? They mentioned, uh, once again, the um, Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. We've talked about these before. Prior to 1970, all the ambulance service in town was run by the police department. After 1970, it went over to the fire department and the paramedics and so forth. But for the longest time, emergency hospitals were run by the police department. And the Georgia Street Receiving Hospital was right downtown L.A. It was the poorest and they said the the uh, worst provisioned of uh, uh, quite a network of receiving hospitals. I think at one point there was over a dozen. Where it stood is uh, today right outside of the L.A. Convention Center, right down by Staples Center. Did you notice the uh, sound of the secretary that Friday was dictating to in the background, the sound of the typewriter and the carriage return and the bell? You know, I was just thinking a lot of kids these days wouldn't even know what that sound was. They would hear that. Of course, we understand it uh, immediately. Back then, of course, a lot of men, you know, I hate to sound like a sexist, but it's true. Most secretaries were women and most men didn't know how to type. And I can remember as early as or as as late as in the 1980s, I had a job uh, with a company that um, actually brought in a consulting firm to teach a lot of the executives how to keyboard because computers were becoming much more prominent in the workplace, and it became obvious that everybody was going to have to learn how to keyboard. If they didn't, they were going to be at a tremendous disadvantage. But most kids today wouldn't even recognize that sound of the typewriter and the carriage return and the bell at the end of the line.
that was the typewriter song, which was very popular in the early 50s, that song. I learned to type on a manual typewriter in the eighth grade. I remember having typing class. And literally, as you typed the letters, the carriage would move across. The, the paper would move, and not the, not the keys. The keys were somewhat stationary. Then, of course, electric typewriters came along, and then there was word processors. And then today, it's just all part of, uh, all part of computing. All right. It's time to bring a little mirth and laughter into our lives as we visit the Comedy Corner. Uh, Dr. Switzer? Uh, yes, C- come in. I'm just, just washing my hands. Uh, I'm Catherine Bigman. Janet Carlyle referred me. Should I lay down? Oh no, no, no. We don't. We don't do that anymore. Just, just have a seat. And uh, let let me uh, tell you a, a bit about our, our billing. I um, I charge five dollars for the for the first five minutes, and and then absolutely nothing after that. How, how, how does that sound? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> Too good to be true, as a matter of fact. <laughs> well, I can I can almost guarantee you that. That our session won't last the full uh, the full five minutes. Now um, <laughs> we don't do any insurance billing, so you would either have to pay in in cash or by check. <clears throat> wow. Okay. And uh, and I I don't make change. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and go. <clears throat> go. Well, tell what? me. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. Here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> Sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes. S T O P. New word. I.T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it. I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. 
so I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good girl. Well, it's only been it's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Well, I, I only have a five, so. Well, I I don't I don't make change. Then I I guess I'll take the full five minutes. Fine. All right. Well, what other uh, problems would you would you like to address? <clears throat> uh, I'm bulimic. I stick my fingers down my throat. Stop it! Not of some kind. Don't don't do that. But I'm I'm compelled to. My mom used to call me. Fatty. No, no, no. No, we de- we don't go there. But I've been having this dream. No, we don't go there either. But my horoscope did say... We definitely don't go there. Just, just stop it. What, what, what else? Well, I have self-destructive relationships with men. Stop it! You, you want to be with a man, don't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, yes. Well, then stop it. Don't be such a big baby. I wash my hands a lot. That's all right. It is? I, I wash my hands all the time. There's a lot of germs out there. Uh-huh. Yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't worry about that one. I'm afraid to drive. Well, stop it! How, how are you going to get around? Get in the car and drive, you, you kook! Stop it! You stop it! You stop it! What's, what's the problem, Kathy? I don't like this. I don't like this therapy at all. You're just telling me to stop it. And and you and you don't you don't like that. No, I don't. So you think we're we're moving too fast, is that it? Yes. Yes, I do. All right, then let me uh, let me uh, give you 10 words that I I think will uh, clear everything up for you. Uh, you want you want to get a pad and a pencil for this one? Right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Right here are the ten words. Stop it, or I'll bury you alive in a box. Something familiar. Something familiar. Something. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone on comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, comedy tonight. <laughs> And this week on the Comedy Corner, we are going to go back to Madison High School and visit with our Miss Brooks. The episode we have tonight was originally broadcast, ooh, let me see here, on April the 1st in 1951. And um, the name of this episode is Another Day, but I'm not sure that I understand why they named it that. 
So if you can figure it out, maybe you can let me know. But here is Eve Arden as Armis Brooks with Gail Gordon, Richard Crenna, and the whole gang at Madison High. And another day. Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. And Palm Olive Shave Creams for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave bring you Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, her salary as a teacher covers all her basic expenses... But our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, has discovered that there are certain luxuries that won't pay for. Luxuries like clothing, for instance. (laughs) However, last Monday, I dropped into Madame Amelia's dress shop to price some of the items she was featuring in a post-Easter sale. In no time at all, I discovered that if Madame Amelia would let me pay for it on time, I could easily afford the sales tax on her cheapest dress. (laughs) But thanks to a proposition Madam made to me, I did leave the store with four new dresses. At breakfast Friday morning, my landlady commented on one of them. Another day, another dress. It's a beauty, Connie. Thanks, Mrs. Davis. You've no idea what it's been like to sit opposite you during this past week. Every day a new dress that looks like the first breath of spring. Glad you like them, Mrs. (laughs) Davis. But I wish you'd cheer up a little. Your dress looks like the first breath of spring, and your face looks like the last gasp of winter. (laughs) What's the trouble, Connie? Well, you know the agreement I have with Madame Amelia, don't you? Why, yes. She said she'd give you a brand new suit free of charge if you'd introduce some of her clothes into Madison High School this week. I wasn't only supposed to introduce them, Mrs. Davis. There was also supposed to be an increase in business. But since you've been wearing the dresses, hasn't business increased? 25% at Dubarry's across the street. <laughs> That's ridiculous. The jump at Dubarry's is just a coincidence. You deserve the dress anyhow. Look at the work you've done. How many other teachers would want to wear a brand new dress to school every day? I don't know. How many teachers are there in the United States? <laughs> I haven't lived up to my part of the bargain. As a matter of fact, our agreement officially terminated last night. I was supposed to return the dresses then. But you're wearing one of them this morning. I just couldn't face my old blue jersey suit for at least one more day. Besides, I figured after all this time, somebody's bound to notice me. You mean no one's paid any attention to your new outfits so far? Well, I did get some encouragement yesterday. I'd been sitting opposite Mr. Boynton at lunch for three days in a row, and each day I had a new dress on. Yesterday, he finally noticed something different about me. What did he say? He said, Miss Brooks, you've got some eraser dust on your neck. (laughs) How about your principal, Connie? Did he comment on the transformation? Mr. Conklin hasn't commented on anything but his newest economy drive. Another one? he just ordered a big cutback in school expenses last month. That came from the Board of Education. This is his own idea. And you ought to see him enforce it. Why, I broke a pointer the other day while he was in my classroom, and before it even hit the floor, he had snatched up the short piece and filed down the rough edge. (laughs) And what did he do with it? He gave it to a teacher with long arms. (laughs) Oh, he's a beauty, all right. (laughs) That's Walter Denton. Be right there, Walter. 
I've got to run, Mrs. Davis. Thanks for breakfast. You're welcome, dear. And don't look so discouraged about the deal with Madame Amelia. You've still got today to put it over. I'll try. Just remember this, Connie. Whether it's modeling or anything else, you only get out of something what you put into it. Believe me, Mrs. Davis, everything I've got I've put into this dress. Walter, keep your eyes on the road. What in the world are you staring at, anyway? Just the most scintillating vision in the world. Huh? I wish I didn't have to drive at all. I wish I could just sit here and drink you in and all your intoxicating loveliness. Well, hand me a mirror. I'd like to get high, too. Honestly, Walter, this flattery is overwhelming. Oh, it's only your due, Miss Brooks. Gosh, I've always admired you personally, but the way you've looked this last week makes the way you used to look positively hag-like. I should have quit when I was ahead. The dress you've got on today's a knockout, Miss Brooks. What are those colors in it? They're chartreuse and cerise, Walter. They are? Of course, those are the fancy names. Actually, these colors are nothing but good old, down-to-earth, plain and simple, puce and magenta. <laughs> you've been dressing the last few days has had eyes popping all over the school. That's funny. I haven't heard a thing. <laughs> Are you kidding? A half the female members of the faculty look like Eddie Cantor. Of course, I'll admit it took everybody a few days to start noticing your new wardrobe, but I think I have the answer for that. Oh? What is it? Well, it's because everyone has seen you in that blue jersey suit of yours for such a long time. It got so that after a while, nobody ever looked below your face. Don't you think that hits it right on the nose? It sure does. Got a Kleenex? <laughs> oh, I am glad that somebody's finally noticing these outfits. I wouldn't be human if I wasn't. Oh, don't you worry about that. You're human, all right. Thanks for the affidavit. <laughs> You got the outfits at Madame Amelia's uh -huh. I told my mother about them last night And she said she must be a wonderful dressmaker Oh, she is Yeah, my mother said she wants to visit the place herself But she was wondering when would be a good time What is she doing yesterday? I mean, <laughs> any time right, Oh, before I forget, Miss Brooks uh, When I spoke to Harriet on the phone this morning She said to tell you to please stop at her dad's office As soon as you get to school Uh-oh it's probably in connection with this new economy drive of his. I extravagantly requisitioned a new eraser last week. Isn't this drive a pain? He's even cutting down on our athletic equipment. Here we got a big track meet coming up, and he won't provide any high hurdles for the guys to practice on. All we got is the old low hurdles. Oh, that isn't an insurmountable problem, Walter. What do you mean? All you have to do is put up the low hurdles and let the boys run on their knees. <laughs> Is it and is your business urgent? It's Miss Brooks and it can wait indefinitely. Bye. Not so fast. Come in, Miss Brooks. Now then, I'll come right to the point. The reason I wanted to see... Miss Brooks, isn't that another new dress you have on? Yes, sir. 
really remarkable. Miss Brooks, may I ask you a question? Certainly, sir. Are you able to dress this way on your salary, or have you come into an inheritance? <laughs> no, sir. No, sir what? No, sir, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> I mean, I haven't come into an inheritance. But these new clothes, how do you pay for them? Well, you see, sir... You don't really... gamble, do you? <laughs> oh, no, sir. Well, I don't want to pry into your personal life. After all, you've worn that blue jersey job long enough. <laughs> Suffice it to say that in the past week, you've given the rest of the faculty something to shoot at. The dresses can't be that bad. <laughs> On the contrary, they're very smart. But to get back to the reason for your being here, as you know, Miss Brooks, I am in the midst of a new economy drive here at Madison. Oh, I know, Mr. Conklin. Mr. Boynton and I discussed it thoroughly at lunch yesterday. Oh, then you're beginning to feel the pinch. Certainly not. All we ever do is talk. feeling the pinch. Well, believe me, it's a necessary measure in these parlous times. Mr. Stone, the head of the school board, is coming over to my home this afternoon for tea. Naturally, I'm interested in impressing him with the strides we've made at Madison. Naturally. And it has occurred to me that an excellent way to convince him of the wisdom of my economy policy is to show him what a teacher such as yourself can do on a limited budget. Me? Yes, Miss Brooks. If you'd come to our home this afternoon, my wife and I would be most pleased to see you. In one of your new dresses, that is. Well, that's very nice, Mr. Conklin, oh, but I... Oh, and since it's a bit late for her to pick up anything, uh, would you consider lending Mrs. Conklin one of your other new creations? Just for the day, of course. Well, Mr. Conklin, I it's like this. I don't want you this. to think that this is a command performance, Miss Brooks, but you will be there at four, won't you? <laughs> Sir. Excuse me. Principal's office. Who? Oh, she's in my office right now. It's for you, Miss Brooks. Be brief, please. Yes, sir. Hello? Who is this? Madam who? Oh, yes, I know last night was the last... Yes, but I just have them back today. But I... Very well. As quickly as possible. Goodbye. Well, if you'll excuse me, sir, I'd better be getting into class. Nothing wrong, is there? Wrong? Or what could be wrong? I just don't want to be late. You know how hungry my pupils are for learning. Starved is the word. <laughs> well, you'll be at my house at four sharp, Miss Brooks, is that correct? Mr. Conklin, I'll be there with bells on, if nothing else. <laughs> Time, I had almost decided to confess to Mr. Conklin that I didn't really own any of the Madame Amelia dresses. But before making that decision, I thought I'd discuss it with Mr. Boynton. When I arrived at the school cafeteria, I purchased my lunch and had just sat down to a table when who should come walking by but Mr. Boynton himself. Naturally, he stopped immediately. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I, I didn't see your foot there in the aisle. Oh, forgive me, Mr. Boynton. I didn't mean to trip you so hard. I hope your lunch... 
lunch isn't all wasted. Oh, no, Miss Brooks. Luckily, my salad landed right side up. And my hamburger landed on my salad. <laughs> well, here's a napkin. You landed on your jello. Thanks. Let me help you pick up your dishes. Gosh. That was a strawberry jello I sat in. Does it look terribly messy, Miss Brooks? Not at all, Mr. Boynton. In fact, it's rather attractive. I bet when you walk down the school steps, you'll look just like a sunset. But, Mr. Boynton, there's something I'd like to ask you. Oh, before you do, Miss Brooks, I'd like to pop a question to you first. Of course, it, it might be considered quite personal, but with your permission, I'll pop it anyway. If you're going to pop the question, I've been waiting for you to pop. Pop away, Pop. <laughs> Miss Brooks, that dress you've got on, isn't that another new one? Why, Mr. Boynton, you've been paying attention after all. Do you like it? Oh, very much. It's a very interesting shade. Uh, yellow, isn't it? Just where the butter landed when you dropped your tray. <laughs> it's mostly chartreuse, Mr. Boynton. Well, it's very exciting. Almost identical in shade to the skin of a young frog. <laughs> the third or fourth lovely new dress you've put on this week. How do you do it, Miss Brooks? I just drop them over my head and pull up the zipper. <laughs> of course, I, I was very fond of your blue jersey suit, too. It held a sort of sentimental attraction for me. You know, that's the suit you were wearing when we met. Yes, four years ago. Well, I, I must admit, I wasn't too crazy about it at first, but, well, it, it really grew on me. Me too. I had quite a time chiseling it off last Monday. But about those new dresses, Mr. Boynton, Ms. I'd like Brooks, to... the fact that you were able to acquire such garments on a teacher's salary is extremely commendable. Well, thank you, Mr. Boynton, but... Now, I've always admired a woman who can budget herself properly. A woman who can do that could be a real asset to a man. She could? Well, a man could hunt for such a woman for, for years and years. Four of them, to be exact. With a clever and thrifty companion, there's no telling how far a man could go. Go, go! <laughs> Continue, Mr. Boynton. Well, to, to sum up my feelings in the matter, I, I can only say that this type of woman is downright marriage timber. Timber! I'm serious, Miss Brooks. Seeing you in these new outfits has, has opened my eyes, and, well, there's something I'd like to say to you. Pardon me, Miss Brooks, but I've got to talk to you for a minute. Oh, for heaven's sakes, Walter, what is it? I'm not interrupting anything, am I? Just my future. What can I do for you? Well, there's a delivery truck outside from Madame Amelia's dress shop. The driver says you've got four dresses to send back. To send back? Yes, it's just a temporary measure, Mr. Boynton. You mean the dresses are all going to be altered, Miss Brooks? No, Walter. Like I said before, just my future. Hi, Miss Brooks. Heading for Daddy's office? Yes, I am, Harriet. I just left him. I've never seen Daddy in such excellent humor, Miss Brooks. He's sure that your new gowns will make a big impression on Mr. Stone this afternoon. In fact, he said that your little visit this morning was like a tonic to him. Wait till he hears the Mickey I've got for him now. Uh, I'm afraid I won't be able to come to tea this afternoon. Won't be able to come? But why not, Miss Brooks? And where's the gorgeous Madame Amelia dress you had on this morning? In a delivery truck on Main Street. But I don't understand. 
You're wearing your old blue jersey again. Where did you get that? Out of a bundle I had ready for the Salvation Army. <laughs> it's a long and gruesome story, Harriet, but I had to send the dresses back. You see, I never really owned them. I was just modeling them for Madame Amelia. If business increased, she said she would give me a free one, but it didn't, so she didn't, and I'm back where I started last week. Shall we dance? <laughs> well, don't look so desperate, Miss Brooks. All isn't lost. Then where is it? You're going to love me for this I was so captivated by those new gowns of yours That during your English class I secretly sketched two of them Then I took the patterns to home economics class And we've spent the past couple of days Making exact copies What? I know you promised to lend one to Mother So it'll work out just perfectly Of course, we made them out of Airsat's material But beggars can't be choosers And after all, the main thing is not to disappoint Daddy but don't you think your father and Mr. Stone will notice the difference? Of course not, Miss Brooks. When it comes to dresses, women have been pulling the wool over men's eyes for years. Well, Miss Brooks, what do you think of my idea? To tell the truth, Harriet, it's not bad. <laughs> I'm glad we got home ahead of Daddy, Miss Brooks. It gave me a chance to reinforce some of the weak places in this dress. Now, stand still while I pin this basting in back. Where are the pins I ask you to hold? I've got them in my mouth, Harriet. Help yourself. Your mouth? Why, that's no place to put pins. Ouch! Neither is that. <laughs> Sorry. We've got to hurry, though. I heard Daddy and Mr. Stone go into the living room about five minutes ago. I must admit you copied the style of Madame Amelia's dress perfectly, Harriet. But tell me, what kind of material did you use? Well, we started with rayon, and when we ran out, we used muslin. Some of it feels like cheesecloth to me. <laughs> oh, it's loaded with cheesecloth. But don't worry, Miss Brooks. The way I've got it basted, no one can possibly tell the difference. I'll bet your mother will tell the difference when she puts hers on. Well, frankly, Miss Brooks, I haven't had a chance to tell her it's a copy. I just left it on her bed when she was getting the tea ready and then rushed back here to you. What? You mean to tell me your mother doesn't know there's nothing between her and a life of shame but some cheesecloth and a fervent prayer? <laughs> Gee, I never thought of it that way. If mother bends over or sits down too quickly, we're sunk. We're sunk? Your mother won't be in such good shape either. <laughs> You've both got to be very careful I tell you what I'll do, Miss Brooks If I see anything beginning to go I'll give you a verbal signal A verbal signal? Yes Since we'll be having tea I'll just say something like Sugar and cream, Miss Brooks Or pass the lemon Now, come on Everybody's waiting for your personal appearance With the wrong kind of a break This can be the most personal appearance I've ever made <laughs> reason why. Lead on, Harriet. Right in here, Miss Brooks. Well, here we are, Daddy. So you are. You know my daughter Harriet, Mr. Stone. Certainly. Hello, Harriet. How do you do, sir? And Miss Brooks. Well, that is an attractive dress you have on. Thank you, Mr. Stone. I've been telling Mr. Stone about the wardrobe you've acquired recently, Miss Brooks. It certainly gives impetus to an economy drive when a teacher can do what she's done, eh, Mr. Stone? Very impressive, Conklin. And thanks to the way I manage my personal budget, Mrs. Conklin has been able to enhance her wardrobe recently. She's probably jumping into her new duds right now. <laughs> I don't advise it. <laughs> I see she's left the tea right here on this table. May I act as temporary hostess? Uh, please do. I'd love some tea, Miss Brooks. Uh, sugar and cream, please. So soon? 
sorry, Miss Brooks. You stand still. Well, hello, everyone. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. Happy to see you again. Say, that's a stunning dress you have on. Yes, you look positively ravishing, my dear. Stand just as you are. Don't move a muscle. Yes, hold it for about 45 minutes. <laughs> I don't believe I've ever seen you looking lovelier, Martha. You and that gown are a match that was made in heaven. Oh, now, Osgood. Honestly, Mr. Stone, sometimes when Osgood pays me a compliment, he gets so extravagant with his praise, I could just split. <laughs> You're holding the wrong thought, Mrs. And <laughs> May I pour you some tea? Oh, thank you, dear, but I can pour it myself. Bending over is good for me. Oh, but you mustn't bend, Mother. Here, I'll get you a cup. Oh, I'd rather do it myself, Harriet. After all, the more one bends over, the more one takes off around one's middle. <laughs> but, Mrs. Conklin, one can take too much of one's middle. After all, it's nice to have something between one's bottom and one's top. <laughs> Uh, but uh, why are we standing? Let's sit down, shall we? Very well. Oh, wait. It's not healthy to sit down after a heavy meal. A heavy meal? But none of us has had anything to eat since lunchtime. I know, but why take chances? <laughs> you and your quips, Miss Brooks. <clears throat> now, let's all be seated. Just a moment. What is it now? I propose a standing toast to our host and hostess. Hear, hear. A toast to our host and hostess. <laughs> now can we sit down? Uh, would anyone like to hear some music? Oh, that's a great idea, Harriet. Get out your phonograph record of John Philip Sousa playing the Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> now stop the horseplay, you two. Sit down, Mr. Stone. Now, just where were we in our discussion, sir? Mm, you were pointing out to me, Osgood, what a teacher could do on her present salary if she really tried. Ah, exactly, exactly. And not only a teacher, but anyone who lives on a budget. Take that dress my wife is wearing. Oh, now, let's not talk about me anymore, Osgood. Oh, why not, my dear? Blushing becomes you. Oh, well, I'm just a little warm. I think I'll open a window in here. It's not that warm in here. Perhaps not, but I thought I'd like to let in a little more air. Uh, uh, please, Martha, just sit down. Very well. What was that? That was Mrs. Conklin letting some more air in. It sounded like something ripping. Is that your dress, Mrs. Conklin? Oh, certainly not. It's still the same lovely three-piece suit it's always been. Three-piece suit? Martha, stand up a minute. Yes, Osgood. What did I tell you? It's the same lovely four-piece suit it's always been. With two pair of skirts. This dress is coming apart at the seams. But I, I don't understand that... Neither do I, but... I'd better get into my bedroom and change. Excuse me, please. Miss Brooks, perhaps you can explain what's going on here. Uh, not now, Mr. Conklin. I'd better go in and help Mrs. Conklin change. I'm sure she can manage by herself. Now sit down, Miss Brooks. Yes, sir. Sugar and cream, Miss Brooks. Get your own sugar and cream, Harriet. <laughs> Miss Brooks, sit down. Mr. Stone, but an awful lot is coming off. I think 
I'd better pour myself a cup of tea. Oh, the lemon, Miss Brooks. Where's the lemon? It went that way. <laughs> Uncle, I think I'm beginning to see what this is all about. I beg your pardon? First, you give me all this talk about retrenching. Then you demonstrate that what a teacher can buy on her salary these days is actually nothing but junk. I've got to give you credit, Conklin. Your idea is brilliant. It is? <laughs> Certainly. You've given me a graphic display that too much economy can't possibly work in these days of rising prices. Osgood Conklin, you're really clever. Oh, come on. <laughs> oh, sir, all the After all, my wife and Miss Brooks were a considerable assistance, you know. Yes, indeed, you, you and Martha would make a fine pair of actresses, Miss Brooks. Well, thank you, Mr. Conklin. I know one theater in town that would love to have us. <laughs> Which one is that, Miss Brooks? The Star and Garter Burlesque. <laughs> Once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, there wasn't much sense in sitting around in my drafty dress, so I said goodbye and backed out of the Conklins. When I arrived home, Mrs. Davis was most helpful and had just finished sewing me up when the phone rang. Hello? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. This is Mr. Boynton. I've been thinking of how lovely you looked in your new dress today, and I wondered if you'd like to take a little walk this evening. Oh, you, you took me by surprise, Mr. Boynton. I'm afraid I dropped the receiver. Hold on a moment, I'll pick it up. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Boynton, but I can't see you tonight. But why not? It's a beautiful night. The moon is out, the stars are out. If this wasn't a party line, would I give you an answer? to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Clamelly Shave Cream for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks starring Eve Arden is produced by Larry Burns written by Al Lewis and Arthur Allsberg with the music of Wilbur Hatch. If you like mysteries that are as full of chuckles as chills be sure to hear Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday over this same network and be with us again next week at this same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. Stay tuned now for Jack Benny. This is CBS for Columbia Broadcasting System. From April the 1st, April Fool's Day, 1951. That was R. Miss Brooks. And the name of that episode was Another Day. But it was certainly about dresses, wasn't it? I cut a commercial out of the middle of that uh, of that episode, and I thought I'd play it now and see if you don't remember this jingle. I, I, I'm sure you will. But listen to uh, the description of the product and see if you can hear things that you don't hear about anymore. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll tell you what I'm talking about as soon as we, uh, we play this commercial from Colgate. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth. Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What cleans your teeth. 
Colgate Dental Cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate Way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate Way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helps stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate Way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. And stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. What a toothpaste. What it cleans your teeth. Remember that jingle? That was a really popular jingle. We've talked a little bit about this before, but when did they quit calling toothpaste dental cream? And when did we quit referring to it as a dentifrice? But the thing I was most interested in is he talked about toothpaste being ammoniated. Now, if I'm not mistaken, when you ammoniate something, you add ammonia to it. They don't still put ammonia in toothpaste, do they? Was that something we did back in the 50s that we don't do anymore? Ammoniated toothpaste. The other thing I found interesting was um, they talked about the Colgate way, but if you read between the lines, it seems to me the Colgate way that works so well is brushing your teeth after every meal. That would be true with any toothpaste, wouldn't it? Or any dental cream. Or any dentifrice. Anyway... Those commercials are kind of fun to listen to uh, from back there. Did you notice on our Miss Brooks they talked about uh, a party line? (laughs) Remember when you had party lines? Oh, gosh, we used to have several people on our party line, but particularly the people next door. But that was uh, very, very common. And she said she would talk to Mr. Boynton, but uh, she's on the party line. Uh, For those of you that don't know what we're talking about, it used to be that several houses would share the same line, the same phone line. So if somebody was on the phone and they were on your party line, you couldn't use the phone. But you could pick up the phone and listen to their conversation. Party lines were uh, a subject of a lot of jokes and a lot of frustrations and probably fights between a lot of neighbors back there in the uh, early 50s. Hello, who's that speaking, please? I'm on a party line Wondering all the time Who's on the other end? Is she big, is she small? Is she a she at all?
tell by the music it is time for Gunsmoke everybody and tonight we are going to go back to July the 30th in 1955 and you're going to love this episode John Daner plays the grizzled old guy that he plays so often usually with somewhat of a comedy effect and he's really good in this one tonight and the sound quality on this is among the very best we have in our files so I think that uh, this is one to just sit back and savor. So here we go to 1955, Gunsmoke. And the name of this episode is Tap Day for Kitty. territory on west, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. 
Gunsmoke, starring William Conrad. The transcribed story of the violence that moved west with young America. And the story of a man who moved with it. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. The first man they look for and the last they want to meet. It's a chancy job, and it makes a man watchful. And a little lonely. Oh, Mr. Hightower, how are you this morning? Fine, fine, thank you. Hello, Matt. Well, hello, Kitty. What are you doing in here this time of day? Uh, just looking for a little shelter. What? <laughs> From his son. Oh. Yeah, I figure I can keep the peace in here as well as out there in that heat. Well, you're that lazy. We better go sit down. Yeah, you know that's a good idea. <laughs> oh, there's a table over there next to Olive and Kate. Oh, okay. Say, uh, huh? who's the old man they're sitting with? Oh, I don't know. He came in just before you did. <laughs> hey, Kitty. Huh? Kitty, you're missing all the fun. <laughs> I don't hear your friend laughing. Oh, he's crazy. Hello, Marshal. Hello, Olive. Okay. Marshal, sit down. Uh, no, no, thanks, Kate. Oh, We're come sit on, Marshal, Kitty. <laughs> Shall we, Kitty? Okay. Kitty, you gotta hear this. What'd you say your name is, old man? Well, I ain't so old. Uh, my name is Nip Colors. Nip Colors? <laughs> I, ain't a, I, I ain't a day over 60. Or a day under. <laughs> Tell me, how come you never been to Dodge before? I only just bought me a ranch down on Crooked Creek. What's that got to do with it? I ain't never been in Kansas before. I made my money mining out in Arizona. I'm I'm rich now. My ma died. You mean your wife? No, no. Ma, my, my mama. Mama, she was real old. She kind of crippled up, but she died, and now I can get married. You mean that a man your age has never been married? I was, but she died a long time ago. You have any kids? Some, but they all run off soon as they got big enough. <laughs> now, this is kind of sad, Matt. Yeah. So you come to Dodge looking for a wife, huh? Yeah, I'm going to find me one, too. What makes you think you're going to find one here? Well, there's women here. I figured I'd look them over. And take your pick. How else? Listen, there isn't enough gold in the world to get me to marry an old, ugly coot like you. Me either. You're about as romantic as a turkey buzzard. <laughs> Why, I've seen water dogs I'd sooner cuddle. <laughs> I wouldn't get any closer to you than I am now to save me from hanging. Olive, that's me. Well, look at him. He can't help it. I mean, you don't have to talk to him like that. He's an old fool. He isn't doing you any harm, Kate. No, no. I don't mean to do no harm. But I gotta find a wife. You don't need a wife. You need a bell around your neck and one leg tied up. I've had enough of this. No, kidding, I'll kidding. handle this. Olive, 
You and Kate get out of here and leave him alone. What? You heard me. Get out, both of you. Since when did you start running things around here? You ever see me fight? Kitty, will you take it easy? You girls will look like scarecrows when I'm done with you. You're first, Olive. Get up. Oh. Look, I, I don't want any trouble with you, Kitty. Then get away from this table. I'm, I'm going. You too, Kate. Sure. We don't want to talk to him anyway. You gotta excuse him, mister. They learn all that talk from the cowboys and such that come in here. Uh, they said that uh, your name is Kitty? Yeah, that's right. Well, you're very nice, Kitty. Oh, sometimes a woman can handle women better than a man can. But you're pretty, too. Yeah. Well, you better stay out of here, Nip. Go look for a wife someplace else. Well, I, I don't have to. What? Not now. I found one. You have? You. Me? Sure. I didn't want either of them to. I was just looking them over, but I like you fine. You make a good wife. Now, look, Nip, don't you go getting any ideas. It's okay, Kitty. I'll take care of everything. I'll be I... back in a few days. Well, wait, I... We'll get married then. Matt? <laughs> Oh, well, well, Kitty, and it looks like you got yourself into something, doesn't it? Try to be nice to somebody. Try to do a good deed and see what happens. Oh, well, I I wouldn't worry about it. Maybe maybe you'll forget about it. You think so? No. Oh, what am I going to do? Why don't you marry him, Kitty? You ever see me fight? <laughs> no, Kitty. Well, the stage come in, Mr. Dillon. Oh? No, didn't you think it would, Chester? Oh, yes, sir. Sure, I I knew it would. It was awful late, though. Oh, was it? Huh. Yes, sir, it was late. Oh, well, well, why? Well, I declare I don't know. I, I didn't bother to ask. Oh, oh, I see, I see. Uh, well, what else is new, Chester? Well, sir, nothing I know of. You know, Chester, you ought to stay in the office more and keep out of the sun. Oh, well, the sun's already went down, Mr. Dillon. Well, now, that's something new. I hadn't noticed that. Well, yes, sir, you're right. It has. Well, yes, sir, it sure has. <laughs> Matt. Oh, hello, Kitty. Come on in. Evening, Miss Kitty. Chester. Matt, you gotta do something. What? Well, what's the trouble? That Nip Colors is back. I say, I want to get a look at him. Well, you will, Chester. He's back already, huh? It's been three days, and he's sure been busy. Well, what do you mean? Well, first he's gone and bought a lot of new clothes. Got himself all dooted up. Well, he needed it. Well, that's not the point. They're wedding clothes. Oh? 
He came into the Long Branch wearing them. He's over there now buying drinks for the house, celebrating. I nearly died of shame, Matt. Everybody laughing at him and at me. I left. I got out. Well, that's funny, Kitty. I, I'd have thought you'd have got mad or laughed it off yourself. Matt, he's serious. I don't know how to stop him. And what's more, I am mad now. That's why I came here. Oh. I ran into the preacher on the street. And you know what he said? He's real pleased he's going to marry me and nip colors tomorrow. That old fool's gone and set up a wedding. Oh, my goodness. It's got to oh. stop. It's got to stop, Matt. You've got to help me. Well, Kitty, please, I... Please, Matt. Oh, sure, Kitty. Of course I will. I'll go over there now and see what I can do. Well, I'm going with you. Well, you don't have to, Kitty. I want to. Talking to Olive. Yeah. Now maybe he's changed his mind. I doubt it. Now look at that beaver hat. <laughs> he must be rich. Matt, he's crazy. He's awful crazy. Oh. Easy now, Kitty. It's gonna be all right. Hey, Kitty. Oh no, Kitty. Hey, shut up some drinks, bartender. Uh, Sam. No, never mind. Oh, uh, what? Oh, you're the marshal, ain't you? Yeah, that's right. You come to the wedding, too, marshal. Uh, everybody's invited. Yeah, I'm going. I wouldn't miss it for nothing. You'll miss the next two days if you don't shut up, Olive. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, uh, colors. Kitty says that she doesn't want to marry you. Yeah, she told me that, too. Do you know how women are, Marshal? Kind of bashful-like. <laughs> Kitty isn't a bashful woman, Colors. She doesn't want to marry you. Now, can't you understand that? But, uh, she can't back out now. Oh, for mercy's sake. It's no use talking to her, I Matt. gotta have me wife, and I decided on her. That's how it's gonna be. And I'm coming by for her noon tomorrow. And we're going to get churched. You come by at noon tomorrow or any other time, and I'm going to be waiting with a shotgun to blow your head off, and I mean it. I think she does. Well, no, uh, that ain't no way to talk, Kitty. All right, colors, the talking's over. What? You get out of town or I'm going to lock you up. Lock me up? In jail, and you'll stay there till you're ready to quit bothering people. Well, now, who ever heard of going to jail for wanting to get married? You see? I'm not going to argue with you, colors. Now you take your choice right now. You're the meanest marshal I ever met. I, I, I just ain't going to jail. All right, colors, come on. No, let me go now. I'll leave. I don't want to go to jail. All right, then get out. Well, I'm going. But I'll be back, Kitty. You'll see. And I'll be waiting with a shotgun. <laughs> oh, Kitty. Oh. <laughs> well, 
<laughs> you let me know if he does come back, huh, Kitty? You'll know. Thanks, Matt. <sighs> yeah, sure. It was a good dinner, though. <laughs> turkey and chocolate sauce. Well, can you imagine that? Turkey and chocolate. <laughs> doc. Yeah, uh huh? Hey, Doc. What? Over here. Oh. <laughs> I didn't see you standing there, Matt. Well, I don't like standing in the light very much. Oh, no, I don't blame you. Well, where you been, on a call? No, I had a late supper. I was busy until, oh, after 10 o'clock tonight. No. I was ever at Delmonico's? No, I wasn't. I went to that new Mexican place. I had some of their turkey and chocolate sauce. <laughs> Say, you tried that? Yeah, it's good, too. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I'll turn in now. Okay. Wait a minute, Doc. Huh? Why, it's Chester. Mr. Dillon, you better come, too, Doc. Uh, what's the trouble, Chester? Out back the stable. Old Nip Colors, he's been shot. What? Yes, sir. With a shotgun. <laughs> Well, Doc, how does he look? Oh, he looks like a Virginia ham just sprinkled with cloves. Well, now, that's no way for a doctor to talk. I've been shot. It isn't my talk you should be worrying about. It's whether I can dig all those pellets out. Ooh, ooh, ooh. That's going to be quite a task. Yes, sir, it's going to be quite a task. Well, why don't you get started? Before I die, die. Oh, be quiet. You better get him up to my office, man. I'll need better light than that lantern of Chester's. Thing. Well, one lantern's all I can get, Doc. You know, I ain't in the habit of carrying more than a half dozen around with me. Never mind, Chester. Uh, Excuse me, Doc. Would you let me get on there, please? Oh, yes. Colors, what happened? Who shot you? Hey, you got gall asking a dying man foolish questions? Doc doesn't think you're going to die, Colors. Now tell me, did you hear or see anybody? Uh, how could I see who shot me in the back? I mean before that or, or after that. I didn't care after. I just lay here hoping they wouldn't pepper me again. And before it happened? I didn't see nobody. But I can tell you who it was. You heard her. Kitty. She said she was going to shoot me with a shotgun, too. Now, wait a minute. She said she'd shoot you if you came back bothering her, but that would just talk. Kitty wouldn't shoot anybody. No. Look at my back. Where'd the shot come from, Colors? Out there, by the water trough. Chester. Yes, sir? Bring that lantern, will you? Let's see what we can find over there. What, you mean you're going to leave us here in the dark? Well, it'll rest your eyes, Doc. You're going to need him. Come on, Chester. Hey, what if they're still around, Mr. Dillon? Won't they take a shot at us? It's not us they're after, Chester. Here, hold that lantern down by the ground here where it's muddy, will you? 
Wait a minute. Hmm? No, back here, Chester. There. Look at that. Well, I do declare, Mr. Dillon, them is woman footprints. Yeah. Kitty. Come on in, Kitty. What's this all about, Matt? Chester won't tell me a thing. Well, sit on and I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. Must be serious to have me dragged away from work at midnight. Yes, it, it is, Kitty. It hasn't got something to do with old nipped colors again, has it? Have you heard anything? No. Well, what, Matt? He got shot. Got shot? About a half hour ago by a woman. She used a shotgun. You're thinking I did it. Well, you were talking about doing it, weren't you? I sure was. And you know something else? I went out to get some air about an hour ago. I took a walk. Alone. And I got back just before Chester came in. I don't even have an alibi. Yeah. So, as soon as the word gets around, there are going to be a lot of people thinking you did it. Sure. Olive was there, too. She heard you threaten him. Uh, she'll be real pleased to testify against me. Yeah. Kitty, uh, might be easier for you if you... Laid low till I find out who did this, huh? How do you know I didn't? Well, I don't know. Not that way. Not so as I could prove it legally. All right, Matt. I'll lay low. Mr. Dillon. Yeah, what is it, Chester? Somebody just went upstairs to dock. So? I seen her out the window here. Her? Yes, sir. It was some old woman. And she seemed like she was in an awful hurry. Hello. Where is he? Are you looking for Doc? They told me he was here. Man at the stable did. They said the doctor brought him here. You mean Nip Colors? Where is he? Well, Doc's working on him in the back room there. He got shot. I know he got shot. Here, now, wait a minute. You're the marshal, ain't you? Who is she, ma'am? Oh, we'd all like to know that. Who are you, ma'am? I'm Nettie Beecher. Now, let me go, marshal. I've got to see him. He's not going to die. You sure? Well, I thought maybe you'd come to finish him off. No, I come to see him and tell him I'm sorry. I got mad when I said he was going to get married. Oh? Well, were you engaged to him or something? Well, I thought I was. I've been with him 20 years, cleaning his house, cooking his food, raising his kids, nursing his old crippled ma. And all them years, he kept saying he'd get married again when his ma died. You thought he meant you? Well, who else would have him? Him and his crazy ways. Well, I didn't believe it when he said some girl here was going to marry him. I didn't believe a word of it. Nettie, I'm the girl he was talking about. No, well, I'm right, ain't I? girl like you marrying him? 
I told him no. If you didn't believe it, why did you shoot him? Oh, I didn't aim to kill him. I only wanted to hurt him some. But why? Because he never looked at me. Twenty years and he never once looked at me. But I'm sorry now. And that's why I'll come here. What's going on in here? I will tell you later, Doc. Right now, this lady would like to see colors. Can she come in? Well, does she have to? Yeah, she has to. Right, but you come with her. I don't want any trouble in there. There he is, lady. Mr. Colors. Nip. Well, what in tarnation are you doing here? Well, I'm sorry I've done it. Well, you done it? It is me. You shot me? Made me mad you're going off trying to marry some other woman. He made you mad? Why? After 20 years waiting, you ask me that? What? You been waiting for me? Ever since I come to work for you. After your wife died. Why, you never told me that, Nitty. Ain't for a woman to speak up. Well, you sure never did. Till tonight. Oh, you sure spoke up tonight. There comes a time when a woman has to, Nip. Hold your tongue for 20 years and then blow me up with a shotgun? Well, you're quite a woman, Nitty. It's funny. I never noticed that. You ain't looked at me in... Twenty years. I'm looking at you now. Uh, Doc. Yes? There isn't going to be any trouble. No. Come on. Well, what happened? Oh, they're talking, Kitty. Well, of course they're talking. What about? <laughs> well, let's say that you just lost yourself a bridegroom. Oh, <sighs> Well, I can't say I'm sorry. <laughs> but you know something, Ma? What? I lost him to a pretty good woman. Directed by Norman McDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Our story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Sound patterns by Tom Hanley and Bill James. Featured in the cast were John Daner, Michael Ann Barrett, and Virginia Gregg. Harley Bear is Chester, Howard McNear is Doc, and Georgia Ellis is Kitty. Remember, listen again next week for another transcribed story of the Western Frontier. It's America growing west in the 1870s. It's Gunsmoke, brought to you by L&M Filters.
As heard on CBS back on the 30th of July in 1955, Tap Day for Kitty was the name of that episode of Gunsmoke. Well, before we close things out, here is a very sad tune that was written by Chris Christofferson. And he sing, he does the best version, I think. Johnny Cash had a hit of this, but uh, no one does it quite like Chris Christofferson. Well, I woke up Sunday morning With no way to hold my head Didn't hurt And the beer I had for breakfast Wasn't bad So I had one more for dessert Then I fumbled through my closet For my clothes And found my cleanest dirty shirt I shaved my face and combed my hair And stumbled down the stairs to meet the day I'd smoked my brain the night before On cigarettes and songs that I'd been picking But I lit my first and watched a small kid Cussing at a can that he was kicking Then I crossed the empty street And caught the Sunday smell Of someone frying chicken And it took me back to something That I'd lost somehow Somewhere along the way On the Sunday morning sidewalk Wishing, Lord, that I was stoned Cause there's something in a Sunday Makes a body feel alone And there's nothing short of dying As lonesome as the sound On the sleeping city sidewalks Sunday morning coming down In the park I saw a daddy With a laughing little girl Who he was swinging Stop beside a Sunday school and listen to the song that they were singing. Then I headed back for home and somewhere far away a lonely bell was ringing. And it echoed through the canyons like the disappearing dreams. Yesterday On the Sunday morning sidewalk Wishing Lord that I was stoned 
knows there's something in a Sunday Makes a body feel alone And there's nothing short of dying Half as lonesome as the sound On the sleeping city sidewalks Sunday morning coming down That's going to kick things in the head for another week. And we'll be back in two weeks and we'll do it all over again. So don't get too upset. Oh, Bob is always just two weeks away with a brand new show. We'll come back next time and we'll have another detective show or some kind of crime fighting show. We'll have a comedy and then we'll finish things up with Gunsmoke. We need to work in some other westerns too along the way. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I am so glad you met.